We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 255 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022. It is President's Day 2022. A happy President's Day to all of our presidents. Commanders Team President Jason Wright, Nationals President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo, Capitals Vice Chairman and Team President Dick Patrick, Wizards President and General Manager Tommy Shepard. These are our presidents. And yes, I do know that the idea behind President's Day is to honor two presidents in particular. Uh, It is to honor the birthdays of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. But whomever you are choosing to honor on this President's Day, I hope that you are well. Perhaps you are off today. If so, enjoy your off day and enjoy this installment of the podcast. It is a juicy installment of the podcast. Uh, We now have details on the second investigation in the Washington workplace misconduct scandal. Remember, why have a scandal worthy of one investigation when you can have a scandal worthy of two investigations? And so we now have a second investigation in our Washington workplace misconduct scandal. Mary Jo White will be leading the NFL-conducted investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder. There is a lot to get into with this, including the history of Mary Jo White. You know, there are people who treated the NFL on Friday announcing that Mary Jo White would be leading this investigation as a death blow to Dan as owner of our commanders. Uh, To that, I say, think again. Uh, Now, it may be that Mary Jo White will take down Dan Snyder, but we in no way should be counting on that, although we should apparently be counting on an actual written report from Mary Jo White. The NFL told us that. I'm going to discuss all of this next segment. Also on the show, a salute to the skies in honor of Charlie Taylor. Uh, We on Saturday evening learned that one of the greatest players and assistant coaches in Redskins history, Charlie Taylor, had passed away 
at the age of 80. Even if you're like me and never got to watch Charlie Taylor as a player, you likely know of Charlie Taylor and perhaps have read about and or seen footage of Charlie Taylor. He was a spectacular player. What he accomplished as a player really is special. I will pay proper homage to Charlie Taylor coming up. We did have Commander's football news over the last few days. Tight ends coach Pete Hainer announced his retirement on Friday. Uh, Juan Castillo reportedly is becoming the commander's new tight ends coach. I'll talk about Hayner being out and Castillo being in. Uh, This is not good news. I mean, nothing against Juan Castillo, but Pete Hayner was a really good tight ends coach. Uh, Also on the show, lots of college basketball conversation. Wins for Maryland and Virginia over the weekend. Yes, the Terrapins actually won a game. Uh, They snapped their five-game losing streak with a 90-74 win at Nebraska on Friday night. The Cavaliers boosted their NCAA tournament resume with a 74-71 win at Miami on Saturday evening. Georgetown and Virginia Tech, though, lost. Uh, The Hoyas fell to 0-15 in the Big East, a 74-66 loss at number 10 Villanova on Saturday evening. And the Hokies' six-game winning streak ended with a 65-57 loss to North Carolina at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg on Saturday. And I will talk Orioles as we on Friday got rare, and I mean rare, public comments from Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos. Uh, He addressed the state of the Orioles' rebuild. His comments were rather telling and in multiple ways. I shall explain. Uh, Well, I mentioned college basketball. How about this Jawan Howard thing on Sunday? Jawan Howard Former bullet slash wizard, Jawan Howard, now the head coach at Michigan, an open-handed strike. Not really a punch, as it has been described, but an open-handed strike of Wisconsin assistant Joe Krabenhoft after a 77-63 Michigan loss at number 15 Wisconsin on Sunday afternoon, Jawan Howard was unhappy about a timeout that Wisconsin called late in the game, got into it with Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard as the handshake line was going on, and then we had turmoil. We had chaos. We had a melee. Or as Vince McMahon said during his days as an announcer 40 or so years ago, a melee. Uh, Jawan, my dude, what is up with you, okay? Somewhere Mark Turgeon has got to be smiling. Uh, that is if he isn't counting his money, although if he's doing that, he probably is smiling anyway. But remember, we had a Mark Turgeon, Jawan Howard thing in last year's Big Ten tournament. March 11th, 2021, eight-seeded Maryland, lost two, one-seeded Michigan, 79-66 at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis in the quarters of the 2021 Big Ten tournament during a media timeout with the Terps trailing by 10 at 57-47, with 10.44 left in the second half, Turgeon received a technical foul, and Howard received a double technical foul, and was ejected from the game as the two had started yelling at each other on the sideline, and Howard eventually had to be held back. Howard supposedly screamed the following at Turgeon, quote, I'll effing kill you, end quote. Now, I have to say, all of this took real courage from Jawan Howard, okay? Jawan Howard at the time was 48 and was listed as a player as being 6'9". Turgeon at the time was 56 
and was listed as a player as being 5'10". Just incredible valor on the part of Jawan Howard to say, I'll effing kill you to Mark Turgeon and having to be held back from going after Mark Turgeon. Look, no profile in courage is Mark Turgeon, okay? He in December stepped down as Maryland head coach just two days before the Terps Big Ten season started, and the Terps season has ended up being a total mess. But geez, Jawan, get a grip, bro, okay? Act like a person. Uh, unbelievable, this guy. Uh, you can tweet me, at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to reach thousands of people every day to grow your business or practice, put the power of the pod to work for you, especially as we get closer now to NFL free agency and the trading period and NFL draft season really starts to pick up and our commanders are perhaps going to make the big move at quarterback. A podcast advertising is very affordable, very much gives you a bang for your buck. Just hit us up. Again, the email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of tweets on Charlie Taylor off him passing away. Tweet from Richard Brown. He, as in Charlie Taylor, caught two touchdown passes in the 1972 NFC Championship game from Billy Kilmer for the only touchdowns of the game, held the NFL record for career receptions at the time of his retirement. 1964 NFL Rookie of the Year, RIP. Yeah, uh, what was a 26-3 Redskins win over the Dallas Cowboys at RFK Stadium in the NFC Championship game in December 1972. New Year's Eve 1972, in fact. Charlie Taylor had two touchdown receptions. Kurt Knight made four field goals. A tweet from Laws Are For Losers, okay? Uh, My sons and I got to meet him a few times. My son's got his autograph, warm human being, in addition to being of football great. A tweet from Pat Day, a Redskin, not a commie. Tweet from Neil Rowlands, odds the team account calls him Charlie, and Neil spells Charlie C-H-A-R-L-I-E. The Charlie in Charlie Taylor, as you probably know, is spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. No, as far as I know, the team has not screwed up anything with Charlie Taylor. Uh, not yet, anyway. I haven't checked Twitter in the last five minutes. Uh, email from Hugh Turner on the passing of Charlie Taylor. Writes you, I was saddened to hear about the passing of Washington Hall of Fame receiver Charlie Taylor. After spending the first years of my football fan life hating the Redskins because of George Preston Marshall's refusal to employ black players, I became a Washington fan following the drafting and play of Charlie Taylor in 1964. While I rooted for Bobby Mitchell when the team traded for him in 1962, I still could not erase my dislike for the team until Taylor arrived. Last week, Coach Joe Gibbs mentioned how he became a Redskin fan as a youth growing up in North Carolina when it was the only team televised there. I am the same age as Coach Gibbs and also grew up in North Carolina and developed a hatred of the team until 1964. I know you are too young to have seen Charlie Taylor, but he was one of the all-time physical wide receivers. In running plays, he would just brutalize cornerbacks. In college, he played on offense and defense. When he was drafted in 1964, the college All-Stars played the NFL champions in the first exhibition game, and if my memory is correct, Taylor played a linebacker in that game. When Otto Graham moved Taylor to wide receiver full-time after two years of running back, I was disappointed 
but who can argue with a Hall of Fame career? Thanks for the memories, Charlie Taylor, and rest in peace. Hope you had a restful weekend, Al, and I look forward to five more outstanding podcasts this week. Well, thank you for that, Hugh. I'm not sure that I can promise you five outstanding podcasts this week, but I can promise you five podcasts, okay? That I can do. And by the way, Tuesday's installment of the podcast, what will be episode 256, will be the one-year anniversary installment of the Al Galdi podcast, and a special guest will be joining me on that one-year anniversary installment of the Al Galdi podcast, and I will announce that special guest in the final moments of this show. But great stuff there from Hugh on Charlie Taylor. I will be doing much more on Charlie Taylor in a bit. Uh, What a career Charlie Taylor had. Well, Charlie Taylor was very much a high-level performer, just as the law firm of Paulson and Nace is a high-level law firm. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. If you have been injured through no fault of your own, if your family has suffered a death due to medical negligence, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, Look, when you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? It's simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611 and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, so as you likely know, when a person or an entity wants to bury something, wants to announce something that the person or the entity doesn't want receiving a lot of attention, the person or the entity makes that announcement on a Friday. Uh, Friday is the day on which news gets a fraction of the attention that news gets during the first four days of the work week. And so you should not ignore that the NFL chose this past Friday as the day to announce details of the second investigation in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. The NFL, of course, does not like this Washington workplace misconduct scandal continuing to get so much attention. Dan Snyder, of course, does not like this Washington workplace misconduct scandal continuing to get so much attention. And so it was on Friday 
that details were announced regarding this latest investigation in the scandal. The NFL on Friday announced that the league had informed the congressional committee that has been handling Congress's involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, the Committee on Oversight and Reform, that the league has engaged Mary Jo White to conduct an investigation into allegations that were made against Dan Snyder at the Committee on Oversight and Reform's a hybrid roundtable on February 3rd. Uh, these allegations, as you likely know, came from Tiffany Johnston, who served as a cheerleader and marketing manager for the Redskins. She, on February 3rd, alleged that she, at a work dinner in 2005 or 2006, was, quote, strategically, end quote, seated by Dan Snyder, so that he could put, quote, his hand on the middle of my thigh until I physically removed it, end quote. She said that this was done purposely and without consent as he touched her in a sexual manner. Johnston also alleged that Dan later that night, quote, aggressively pushed, end quote, her toward his limo before his attorney intervened, advising Dan not to engage in the, quote, very bad idea, end quote. And Jason Friedman, Johnston's former boss, said in a letter to Representative Carolyn B. Maloney that he witnessed Dan try to grab Johnston and push her to his limo. So Mary Jo White is leading this investigation into these Tiffany Johnston allegations. That means that Deborah Wong Yang is not leading this investigation. Remember, we have had major confusion with this second investigation in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. It was on February 9th that we first learned of a new investigation, a second investigation regarding the team's workplace misconduct scandal. Now, the investigation was announced on the morning of February 9th by the commanders who said that they had hired an independent investigative team to look into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder. What followed in the immediate hours after that announcement of the investigation was the investigation like being ripped to pieces in terms of being a joke, you know, like how was Dan Snyder going to launch an investigation into himself, even with the investigation supposedly being independent? And how was Dan launching an investigation into himself off him having said that what Tiffany Johnston had alleged wasn't true? Well, the NFL later in the day on February 9th put out a statement saying that the league, not the commanders, would conduct an investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder. Quote, last week, the league stated that we will review and consider Ms. Johnston's allegations as we would any others regarding workplace conduct at the Washington Commanders. The league, not the team, will conduct an independent investigation and will be retaining an investigator to determine the facts shortly. End quote. Well, the time of shortly has ended and the NFL has made its announcement. Now, what was unclear off the NFL declaring that it, not the commanders, would conduct an investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder, and I talked about this on the podcast at the time, was who would be doing the investigating in the investigation. Uh, the commanders on February 9th, in announcing the second investigation in the workplace misconduct scandal, said that the investigation would be run by Palace Global Group LLC, and that Palace Global Group LLC had retained Deborah Wong Yang to lead the investigation. Uh, Deborah Wong Yang was part of the legal team that investigated New Jersey's Bridgegate, if you remember that whole thing, and uh, ultimately exonerated then New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Deborah Wong Yang, in December 2016, interviewed with then-President-elect Donald Trump to head the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, though she ultimately 
did not get the position. Well, Deborah Wong Yang now is out, and Mary Jo White now is in. Who is Mary Jo White? Well, that is a simple question with a complicated answer. So Mary Jo White is 74. Uh, She has had a very accomplished career, including having served as chair of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission under President Barack Obama from April 2013 to January 2017. But it's important to understand Mary Jo White's history with sports investigations. Uh, I saw a lot of celebrating from Commanders fans regarding the NFL going with Mary Jo White to lead this investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder with the idea being that Mary Jo White is, you know, a shark who is going to rid us all of Dan as owner of the Commanders. Uh, Maybe, but that is far. And I mean far from a given. Mary Jo White has a lengthy history with sports investigations. It's important to understand what exactly that history is. So upon the NFL announcing that Mary Jo White will be leading the second investigation into Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. A lot of people remarked of how Mary Jo White had gotten Jerry Richardson out as Carolina Panthers owner and thus could do the same to Dan Snyder as commander's owner. Uh, This is a major misrepresentation of what happened with Jerry Richardson. So yes, Mary Jo White did lead an investigation into Jerry Richardson. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in January 2018 announced that Mary Jo White would be leading an investigation into Jerry Richardson. And yes, the investigation led to the NFL in June 2018 fining Richardson $2.75 million due to the investigation finding evidence that substantiated claims of workplace misconduct against Richardson. But Richardson already was selling the Panthers. Jerry Richardson, in December 2017, had announced that he was selling the Panthers and ceding day-to-day control of the team. He was already on his way out. Mary Jo White did not rid the NFL of Jerry Richardson. That's not true. Uh, That is, as we like to say, fake news. Uh, Also, Mary Jo White, in August 2018, chaired Ohio State's investigation into then- head coach Urban Meyer regarding what Urban knew and did about domestic violence allegations against then Ohio State receivers coach Zach Smith in 2015. Yeah, Mary Jo White led the investigation at Ohio State regarding the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith situation. Uh, Urban in July 2018 told reporters at Big Ten Media Days that he had only learned of the allegations against Zach Smith when someone in Urban's office told him But Zach Smith's wife, Courtney Smith, told college football insider Brett McMurphy that she and Urban Meyer's wife, Shelly, texted about Zach Smith's alleged abuse. A subsequent release of Ohio State's summary of findings revealed that the Buckeyes associate athletic director had discussed with Urban the possibility of deleting texts between him and Zach Smith that were a year or older in response to McMurphy's report. The whole thing was a mess, but Mary Jo White's investigation into everything only resulted in Urban Meyer being suspended without pay for Ohio State's first three games of the 2018 season. Now, Urban in December 2018 did announce that he would um, retire at the end of the Buckeyes 2018 season, but how about this from Mary Jo White on Urban Meyer 
in her report on the investigation. Quote, while those denials were plainly not accurate, Coach Meyer did not, in our view, deliberately lie. Coach Meyer impressed us with his sincere commitment to the respect for women core value that he espouses and tries to instill in his players, end quote. So Mary Jo White believed Urban Meyer. Mary Jo White found Urban Meyer to be credible. Now, was Mary Jo White wrong to believe Urban Meyer? Not necessarily, okay? I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what is, in fact, totally true and what isn't, in fact, true regarding the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith situation. I do know this. There was a lot in this Urban Meyer-Zach Smith situation that sure gave off at least the appearance of Urban Meyer being a liar, of Urban Meyer being a phony. Mary Jo White didn't see things that way. Oh, by the way, Mary Jo White in 2017 served as an expert for the NFL in its investigation into alleged domestic violence by Dallas Cowboys running back and Ohio State product Ezekiel Elliott, who I guess didn't take to heart Urban Meyer's respect for women core value uh, because Zeke ended up serving a six-game suspension in November and December 2017, even though he was never criminally charged. Additionally, Mary Jo White is known to be a go-to white-collar defense lawyer. Uh, Mary Jo White represented members of the billionaire Sackler family in facing a wave of lawsuits. Uh, The Sackler family runs the OxyContin maker, Purdue Pharma. As of April 2019, Purdue Pharma, along with other opioid makers, wholesalers, and distributors, was facing more than 2,000 lawsuits by state, city, and county officials who blamed prescription opiates for being behind this country's massive opioid addiction problem. So Mary Jo White has defended Big Pharma. There may not be a more privileged enterprise in this country, right, than Big Pharma. So does all of this make Mary Jo White a bad person? Not necessarily. Does all of this make Mary Jo White a dishonest lawyer? Not necessarily. But in terms of how we view things as fans of the team now known as the Commanders, I think what all of this does suggest is Mary Jo White is far from someone who is just going to automatically bring Dan Snyder's tenure as owner of our Commanders to an end. Like, to look at this and say, well, this is it for Dan because Mary Jo White's running this investigation. No, you can't say that. Not based on Mary Jo White's history. And perhaps nothing speaks to all of this more than the reactions to the NFL announcing Mary Jo White as heading the investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder. The commanders seem pleased with the engaging of Mary Jo White. And the victims in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal seem angry over the engaging of Mary Jo White. Said the commanders in a statement on Friday, quote, The commanders have always been intent on having a full and fair investigation of this matter conducted and to releasing the results of that investigation. Given the team's confidence in Miss White's ability to conduct such a full and fair investigation, the commanders will not separately pursue an investigation and will cooperate fully with Miss White, 
End quote. Meantime, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz, they are the attorneys representing Tiffany Johnston and more than 40 former Washington employees. Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz questioned adding a new investigator at this time. Said Banks and Katz in a statement on Friday, quote, Beth Wilkinson conducted a long and comprehensive investigation of the Washington commanders and earned the trust of dozens of victims and witnesses who provided her with evidence of pervasive sexual harassment and abuse. We understood that Ms. Wilkinson would conduct the investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations about Washington commanders owner Dan Snyder, given her unique knowledge of the commander's organization, its culture of sexual harassment, and Dan Snyder's credibility. Having a new investigator with no such prior knowledge assess Ms. Johnston's allegations and Mr. Snyder's denials in a vacuum makes no sense at all. That said, we will discuss with Ms. Johnston her willingness to participate and are pleased that the NFL has agreed to make the results public. On behalf of our many other clients, we urge Commissioner Goodell to make the same decision with respect to Ms. Wilkinson's investigation. Certainly, the results of that comprehensive investigation would provide an important blueprint for the new investigator to conduct her work, end quote. So, yeah, maybe Mary Jo White is going to end Dan Snyder as commander's owner once and for all, but that's far from a certainty. And I wonder if Dan just might be happy that Mary Jo White is leading this investigation. The same Mary Jo White who had nothing to do with Jerry Richardson no longer being Panthers owner. The same Mary Jo White who found Urban Meyer to be credible. The same Mary Jo White who is known to be a go-to white-collar defense lawyer. As for the issue of a written report, yes, The idea of a written report, imagine that. Uh, The absence of the written report, of course, has been such a big deal regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Just heard the absence of a written report in the Beth Wilkinson investigation being referenced in that statement from Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz. I mean, it really is amazing. The Beth Wilkinson investigation lasted from July 2020 through June 2021, and we didn't get a written report on the specific findings of that investigation. I mean, that really is absurd when you think about that. Uh, Anyway, the commanders on February 9th in announcing an investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder said that Deborah Wong Yang would, quote, report her findings to Palace Global Group, and those findings will be released to the public, end quote, at the conclusion of the investigation. Whether an actual written report was to be released was unclear. Well, the NFL on Friday in announcing that this second investigation in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal would be conducted by Mary Jo White literally said in a statement, quote, A written report of the investigator's findings will be publicly released, end quote. So there ain't no ambiguity with that. A written report from Mary Jo White is coming, and the written report will be publicly released. But what Mary Jo White's findings and recommendations in the written report will be are anyone's guess. Look, the truth regarding these allegations from Tiffany Johnston matters a lot. Uh, Do I believe that Tiffany Johnston is telling the truth? Yes, I do. But we can't just assume that she's telling the truth. Her allegations should be investigated because if she isn't telling the truth or if she is misremembering, uh, to paraphrase Roger Clemens, then that's a big deal. 
You know, as much as we all want Dan Snyder out as owner of the Commanders, you can't just oust them based on unverified or even worse, false allegations. These are serious allegations. These are allegations that certainly seem to cross into the territory of sexual assault as opposed to sexual harassment. So the truth matters a lot here. And who the person doing the investigating in the investigation matters a lot here. I'm not here to tell you that Mary Jo White is dishonest or that Mary Jo White is a Dan Snyder sympathizer. We don't know that those things are true. But I do wonder if Dan Snyder privately, well, maybe not thrilled that his choice, Deborah Wong Yang, isn't doing the investigating, maybe more happy than angry that Mary Jo White is doing the investigating. Uh, We have wondered about whether the NFL is turning on Dan, because if the NFL is turning on Dan, then he truly is in trouble in terms of remaining as owner of the commanders. You know, it may be that the NFL is angry at Dan, that the NFL is getting fed up with Dan, but also that the NFL isn't quite ready to take that big step of ousting Dan as owner of a team. And so maybe the NFL has said to Dan, essentially, look, we're handling the second investigation in your scandal, okay? Go sit in the corner, be quiet, stop screwing everything up, okay? Get the years on your crest right in terms of your Super Bowl victories. And uh, our homegirl, Mary Jo White, is going to perform this investigation. You may not love everything that she has to say. You may have to pay a big fine. Heck, you may even have to serve a suspension. But she'll make sure that you stay on as owner. You know, who knows what the communications behind the scenes truly have been between the NFL and Dan Snyder. Will Mary Jo get Dan to go? We just don't know. There's a rhyming key for you uh, regarding all of this. Uh, But yeah, man, the Washington workplace misconduct scandal figures now to be going on for at least a little while longer. Up next, a tribute to one of the greatest players and assistant coaches in Redskins history, Charlie Taylor. I'll get to that after this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? You or someone you love falling into depression or struggling with anxiety can keep you from what you care about. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. BetterHelp is not self-help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help 
of an experienced professional. You'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp just by going to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi and get 10% off your first month. So many people have been helped by the great therapist at BetterHelp. How about this from a client on a therapist named Mary Allen? Quote, since I've worked with Mary, I've seen so many positive changes in daily life. I always look forward to our conversations because I feel so supported and Mary always has great ideas and solutions for me. End quote. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that BetterHelp is actually recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Look, we all know people who have struggled with mental health. Perhaps you yourself have struggled with mental health. There's no shame. Those days are done. So many athletes have dealt with mental health difficulties. Take control of your mental health. You deserve to be happy. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi. Well, we had sad news on Saturday evening. Uh, I found this out while I was eating dinner. Uh, Perhaps you did too. But one of the greatest players in Redskins history, Charlie Taylor, passed away on Saturday. He was 80. Uh, We got a statement from Commander's owners Dan and Tanya Snyder. And yes, that's how the statement was presented as a statement from owners, plural, Dan and Tanya Snyder. Quote, we are incredibly saddened to hear the news about the passing of the great Charlie Taylor. Charlie is a member of the Washington Ring of Fame and one of the most decorated players in franchise history. He retired as the NFL's all-time leader in receptions and holds our franchise record for total touchdowns. His achievements were recognized by the entire NFL community with his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame In 1984, he represented the organization with excellence and class over three decades as a player and coach. Charlie was a great man and will be sorely missed by all. Our thoughts and prayers are with his wife, Patricia, and the entire Taylor family during this time. End quote. Uh, We have had a good bit of death with all-time great Redskins in recent years. Uh, Bobby Mitchell, Joe Bugle, Sam Huff. Len Hoss. Uh, Unfortunately, we are now at a point at which a lot of the players from the 1960s and 1970s and a lot of the coaches from the 1980s and 1990s are older. You know, a lot of these guys now are in their 80s, if not 90s. Uh, Charlie Taylor was way before my time, but I certainly know about Charlie Taylor. Uh, I have read, seen, and heard a lot on Charlie Taylor, and Charlie Taylor had an incredible run with the Redskins. The Skins took Charlie Taylor with the number three pick in the 1964 NFL draft out of Arizona State. He also was taken by the Houston Oilers in the second round of the 1964 AFL draft, but he chose to sign with the Skins, and that marked the start of an incredible run with the franchise. Charlie Taylor worked for the Skins from 1964 through 1993 as a player, scout, and receivers coach. Uh, He was a player from 1964 through 1977. He was a scout from 1978 through 1980, and he was the Skins receivers coach from 1981 through 1993. So Charlie Taylor was the Skins receivers coach throughout the entirety of the glory days with Joe Gibbs during his first tenure as Skins head coach, and Charlie Taylor was the Skins receivers coach for the posse, the greatest collection of receivers in Skins history, right? Art Monk, Gary Clark, and Ricky Sanders. Uh, Charlie Taylor, like Richie Pettibone, was a part of all five Redskins teams 
that made Super Bowls. Uh, Charlie Taylor was a receiver on the 1972 NFC champion Redskins and was the receiver's coach for the 1982, 83, 87, and 91 NFC champion Skins. Uh, Richie Pettibone was a defensive back on the 72 NFC champion Redskins and was the defensive coordinator for the 82, 83, 87, and 91 NFC champion skins. That's a pretty special thing to be able to say that you were part of each of the five skins teams that made a Super Bowl. But in terms of Charlie Taylor, the skins player, uh, what a career. Charlie Taylor, like the great Bobby Mitchell, excelled as both a running back and a receiver. Charlie Taylor was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1984. He was a halfback over his first two NFL seasons, 1964 and 65, but he was switched to split end in the seventh game of his third season. So 1966, due to his ability to run in the open field, as well as the frequency with which he would actually outrun his blockers. And so Charlie Taylor became a receiver and he was tremendous. Charlie Taylor totaled 649 career regular season receptions, which were an NFL record at the time of his retirement. Charlie Taylor totaled 79 career regular season receiving touchdowns and 90 career regular season total touchdowns. Both of those marks remain franchise records. Uh, Yeah, no Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders player as a player for the franchise has ever totaled more regular season receiving touchdowns or more regular season total touchdowns than Charlie Taylor has. Uh, Here's a good stat. Charlie Taylor is one of just five players in NFL history with at least 5,000 career regular season receiving yards, at least 1,000 career regular season rushing yards, and at least 80 career regular season touchdowns. So the other four players are Marshall Falk, Bobby Mitchell, Lenny Moore, and Marcus Allen. Pretty good company of which to be a part. Uh, Charlie Taylor is the only player in Redskins history to amass at least 5,000 career regular season receiving yards and at least 1,000 career regular season rushing yards as a Redskin. And how about this? Charlie Taylor as a halfback won Associated Press NFL Rookie of the Year for the 1964 season, during which he had 199 carries for 755 yards and five touchdowns and 53 receptions for 814 yards and five touchdowns. Think about that for a moment. 53 receptions for 814 yards. Charlie Taylor as a rookie halfback, as a rookie running back, averaged 15.36 yards per reception. (laughs) That is ridiculous. You know, our football team has had a number of great skill position players over the years. You could argue that Charlie Taylor was the best. Like the short list of all-time great skill position players for the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders includes Taylor, Bobby Mitchell, Jerry Smith, John Riggins, Art Monk, Gary Clark. I mean, to me, you could very much make the case that Charlie Taylor was the best out of that bunch, that Charlie Taylor was the greatest offensive weapon out of all of those guys and anyone else who has played for the team. Charlie Taylor was that special. But in terms of Charlie Taylor's legacy for us as fans of the team, now known as the Commanders, uh, perhaps what stands out more than anything is is that Charlie Taylor was part of maybe the greatest quarterback-pass-catcher combo in franchise history in being a part of his combo with Sonny Jurgensen. Uh, In terms of production and longevity, it's hard to argue 
that any Redskins quarterback pass catcher combo has ever been better than Sonny Jurgensen, Charlie Taylor. Sonny Jurgensen and Charlie Taylor were Redskins teammates from 1964 through 1974. Sonny served as a Skins QB1 from 1964 through 1970. Both Sonny and Charlie had some monster seasons from 1964 through 1970. Two that really stand out are the 1966 and 1967 seasons. So the 1966 season, Sonny Jurgensen was the only 3,000-yard passer in the NFL in the 1966 regular season. He threw for an NFL best 3,209 yards and led the NFL as well with 254 completions and 436 pass attempts. Charlie Taylor for the 1966 regular season led the NFL with 72 receptions. The 1967 season, Sonny Jurgensen for the 1967 regular season led the NFL with 3,747 passing yards, 288 completions, 508 pass attempts, and 31 touchdown passes. And believe it or not, that remains the only 30 touchdown pass regular season by a Washington player ever. Yes. 30 touchdown passes in a regular season. Not that high of a mountain to climb. And yet just one time in the history of our team has a player had at least 30 touchdown passes in a regular season. That really is amazing and not in a good way. But anyway, the lone 30 touchdown pass regular season in franchise history was Sonny Jurgensen's 1967 regular season. And Charlie Taylor was a huge part of that. Charlie Taylor for the 1967 regular season led the NFL with 70 receptions. When you're analyzing athletes from yesteryear, uh, obviously you can't just go by the raw numbers. Uh, sports have changed a lot over the decades. 3,000 passing yards in the 1960s means something very different than 3,000 passing yards today. The Redskins of the 1960s were not good defensively and were not good overall in terms of records, but the Skins of the 60s were prolific offensively and Charlie Taylor had a lot to do with that. You know, you think about the best quarterback pass catcher combos in Redskins history. Uh, The first great quarterback pass catcher combo in Skins history was Sammy Ball and a split end named Hugh Taylor. Uh, They teamed together 1947 through 1952. Uh, Sonny Jurgensen had a great thing going on with receiver Bobby Mitchell, 1964 through 1968. Sonny had a great thing going with tight end Jerry Smith, 1965 through 1974, although essentially you're talking with Sonny and Jerry Smith, 65 through 70, because Sonny ended up not being the Skins QB1 beyond the 1970 season. Uh, Joe Theismann and receiver Art Monk had a great thing going for years, 1980 through 1985. Mark Rippin and receiver Gary Clark had a good thing going for a while, 1988 through 1992. But the best Redskins quarterback pass catcher combo when you're looking at production and longevity to me is Sonny Jurgensen and Charlie Taylor. Uh, here's audio of a classic NFL Films clip on Sonny Jurgensen and Charlie Taylor. I tweeted this out on Saturday evening. I love this stuff. Here you go. Catching the Eagles in a safety blitz, Jurgensen zips a pass to Charlie Taylor. And last year's leading NFL receiver shows he's lost none of his game-breaking luster. 
how great was that? I mean, first of all, the old school narration, Charlie Taylor, quote, shows he's lost none of his game-breaking luster, end quote. That's outstanding. Game-breaking luster. We should all be so lucky to possess game-breaking luster. Jurgensen zips a pass to Charlie Taylor, and last year's leading NFL receiver shows he's lost none of his game-breaking luster. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Game-breaking luster. Uh, and of course, you also have the cheesy background music, which is just spectacular. I can never say enough good things about NFL films. I have learned so much about Redskins history just by watching NFL films. And honestly, that's how I came to know a lot about Charlie Taylor was through NFL films. So rest in peace, Charlie Taylor, one of the greatest figures in Redskins history. Up next, analysis of some actual football news for the commanders of the now tight ends coach Pete Hayner is retiring, and Juan Castillo reportedly is becoming the commander's new tight ends coach. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so it was looking like there wouldn't be any changes to Ron Rivera's commander's coaching staff this offseason. Whatever talk there had been of offensive coordinator Scott Turner and or defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio not being back uh, never really went anywhere. Uh, defensive backs coach Chris Harris reportedly interviewed for the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator job, but didn't get that job. And so it did look as if year three of the Ron Rivera era would feature the exact same coaching staff as year two of the Ron Rivera era featured. Well, not so fast, my friends. Uh, the commanders on Friday announced that tight ends coach Pete Hayner had announced his retirement. Uh, Pete Hayner is 70. He served as Washington tight ends coach for two seasons, the 2020 and 2021 seasons. He was one of many, and I mean many, assistants under Ron Rivera during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach, who Ron brought with him to Washington. And Pete Hayner did very good work over his two seasons as Washington tight ends coach. You think about Logan Thomas. Uh, Washington initially signed Logan in March 2020 as an unrestricted free agent who, in his career as a tight end, had totaled just 35 receptions on 54 regular season targets. But Logan, of course, had a stunningly great 2020 season. He finished the 2020 regular season with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. He became just the third tight end in Washington history 
to have a regular season with at least 70 receptions, at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns joined Jordan Reed, who did this in the 2015 regular season, and Chris Cooley, who did this in the 2005 regular season. And understand that Ron Rivera has credited Pete Hayner as a reason for Washington signing Logan Thomas in March 2020. In other words, Logan Thomas per Ron Rivera was a Pete Hayner find. Uh, also, Pete Hayner deserves credit for John Bates. Uh, Washington took Bates in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Boise State, and John Bates ended up being arguably Washington's best rookie in the 2021 regular season. Now, I know that that's not saying a ton, and I would say that Samuel Cosby at his best was better than John Bates at his best. Two different positions, I get it, but Samuel Cosby, when he was healthy, was a really good right tackle for Washington, but Samuel Cosby wasn't healthy enough in his 2021 rookie season. John Bates in his 2021 rookie season ended up totaling 20 receptions for 249 yards and a touchdown on 25 targets. He was an elite blocking tight end for pro football focus. And as the season went on, John Bates drew more and more praise. Uh, Scott Turner raved about John Bates as the season went on. So I really was impressed by the work that Pete Hayner did over his two seasons as Washington tight ends coach. Pete Hayner spent nine seasons as Panthers tight ends coach, 2011 through 2019. So he worked with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. You think about the Panthers, it was under Hayner's watch that Greg Olson became one of the NFL's best tight ends. Uh, Pete Hayner had quite the football life. His first NFL coaching job was as tight ends coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. Not the Arizona Cardinals, not the Phoenix Cardinals. No, the St. Louis Cardinals for the 1985 and 1986 seasons. Uh, Pete Hayner was the San Francisco 49ers tight ends coach 2005 through 2010. During that time, Hayner worked with and developed Maryland product Vernon Davis and uh, got Vernon into being a very good NFL tight end. And of course, Vernon eventually played for the Redskins. So happy retirement, Pete Hayner. Uh, he will be missed, though. Uh, he and offensive line coach John Matsko, to me, are the two best assistant coaches who Ron Rivera brought with him from Carolina to Washington. As for who is next for the Commanders as tight ends coach, uh, we on Friday had multiple reports that the Commanders will be hiring Juan Castillo as their tight ends coach. Uh, Juan Castillo, that is probably a familiar name to you. But Juan Castillo has not served as a tight ends coach since 1997. Uh, we are now in the year 2022. 1997 was 25 years ago. So it has been a while since Juan Castillo has served as a tight ends coach. I'm not sure how much that matters, but that would not seem to be a good thing, right? Uh, Juan Castillo, though, has held a variety of coaching jobs in football. Juan Castillo spent the 2020 and 2021 seasons as the Chicago Bears offensive line coach. He spent the 2019 season in college football. He spent the 2019 season as an offensive analyst for Michigan. Juan Castillo spent the 2017 and 2018 seasons as the Buffalo Bills offensive line coach and running game coordinator. Juan Castillo was with the Baltimore Ravens from 2013 through 2016. He served as Ravens running game coordinator for the 2013 season, served as the Ravens offensive line coach from 2014 through 2016. Juan Castillo probably is most famous for his time with the Philadelphia Eagles, for whom he worked from 1995 through 2012 in a variety of roles, offensive assistant, tight ends coach, offensive line coach, and defensive coordinator. Uh, Juan Castillo was the Eagles defensive coordinator 
for the 2011 and 2012 seasons. But Juan, having worked for the Eagles for so long, does mean that Juan worked with Rod Rivera during his time as Eagles linebackers coach from 1999 through 2003. So this is another Ron Rivera hire of a guy with whom Ron is familiar. And Juan Castillo has big shoes to fill. Pete Hainer was a very good tight ends coach. And think about this too. Logan Thomas is coming off a torn ACL and he suffered that torn ACL in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders in week 13 of the 2021 regular season. Logan Thomas may not be ready for the start of the 2022 regular season. And so the developments of John Bates and Samus Reyes matter a lot. The commanders having a good tight ends coach matters a lot right now. Let's hope that the commanders are going to have a good tight ends coach in Juan Castillo. All right, time now to talk college basketball. It had been a while, a long while, but we now can say that Maryland has won its most recent game. Uh, I was not sure of the next time that we might be able to say that, but we can say that now. The Terrapins improved to 12 and 14 overall and 4 and 11 in the Big Ten with a 90-74 win at Nebraska on Friday night. The Terps snapped a five-game losing streak. This was their first win this month. Uh, This was their first victory since a 68-60 win at Rutgers on January 25th. Like I said, it had been a while. Uh, The Terps in this win at Nebraska on Friday night led at the half by just two points at 42-40, but then never trailed in a second half that they won 48-34. Now look, Nebraska is a bad team, a really bad team. Nebraska came into this game just 1-13 in the Big Ten this season, but You know who else is a bad team this season? The Terps. So I, as a Maryland fan, do not take this win for granted. Uh, The Terps' 90 points were the Terps' most points in regulation against a Division I team since December 2020. But the Terps scored their 90 points in an interesting way. The Terps went just 4 of 19 on threes, but the Terps went 27 of 40 on twos and outscored Nebraska in the paint by 18 points, 46-28. Also, the Terps went 24 of 33 on free throws. So Maryland was bad on threes, but was good on twos and shot lots of free throws. Only the Terps with their bad three-point shooting could be bad on threes, even in a game in which the team scores 90 points. Uh, The Terps Played well defensively on Friday night. Terps held Nebraska to just 5 of 17 on threes. Terps held Nebraska to just 17 of 38 on twos. Terps did allow Nebraska to attempt 31 free throws. Nebraska went 25 of 31 on free throws. Nebraska's 6'7 five star freshman Bryce McGowan's went 14 of 15 on free throws, but also just 1 of 6 on threes. He finished with 25 points. Also, Maryland took care of the basketball on Friday night. Terps committed just four turnovers to Nebraska's 12. Uh, Eric Ayala was back for Maryland. He returned from a one-game absence caused by a wrist injury. Came off the bench as opposed to starting. He, in 24 minutes as a reserve, went 0-3 on three, scored just two points, but he also had five rebounds and four assists versus no turnovers. The Terps' best player, again, was the Rhode Island transfer, their point guard, Fats Russell. Now, he did go just one of eight on threes and just six of eight on free throws, but he also went seven of 10 on twos. He finished with 23 points, five rebounds, three steals, and two assists versus two turnovers in 31 minutes as a starter. Fats Russell now has scored at least 20 points in each of his last three games. Now, 
He's not shooting well on threes. I mean, nobody on Maryland this season really is shooting well on threes. Fats over this three-game stretch has gone just 6 of 20 on threes, but he also has gone 18 of 28 on twos. And make no mistake, he has been Maryland's best player this season. Uh, Dante Scott on Friday night, he went 0 of 3 on threes, but he also went 6 of 12 on twos, finished with 15 points and 7 rebounds in 35 minutes as a starter. The Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 big man, Kudus Wahab, uh, he on Friday night at least somewhat bounced back from his tough game in the Terps' previous game, that 62-61 loss at then number three Purdue on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. So Kudus in this win in Nebraska on Friday night in just 18 minutes as a starter, four or five from the field, all twos, finished with 10.6 rebounds and one turnover. He did, though, go just two of seven on free throws. Uh, Kudis in that loss at Purdue in 23 minutes as a starter, no assists versus five turnovers. It has not been a good season for Kudis Wahab of transferring from Georgetown to Maryland, but like I said, he did bounce back at least somewhat in this win at Nebraska on Friday night. Julian Reese was good on Friday night, the 6'9 freshman, the consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. He, in just 16 minutes off the bench, went 4-6 of six from the field, all twos, and 5-5 five of five on free throws. Finished with 13 points and three rebounds. It's pretty good, 16 minutes of playing time, 13 points and three boards, although he did foul out uh, of the game. Uh, also, Utah transfer Ian Martinez. He was good on Friday night, 17 minutes off the bench, 0-1 of one on threes, 3-4 three of four on twos, 4-5 of five on free throws. He finished with 10 points, 4 steals, 3 assists versus no turnovers, and three rebounds. Uh, next up for the Terps, two games in four days. Uh, home to Penn State, Monday night at 7, and then at Indiana, Thursday night at 7. So Maryland over the weekend got a win for the first time in a while. Georgetown, on the other hand, did not. Uh, the Hoyas lost again. Georgetown fell to 6-20 and 20 overall and 0-15 oh in the Big East with a 74-66 loss at number 10 Villanova on Saturday evening. The Hoyas lost their 16th consecutive game. The Hoyas in falling to 0-15 in the Big East, tied for the third worst start in Big East play in a season in conference history. The Hoyas never led in the game. Now, the Hoyas only lost by eight, but the Hoyas did lose, and the Hoyas never held a lead in the game. Uh, Georgetown allowed Villanova to begin the game on a 16-5 run, trailed at the half 32-22. The Hoyas did cut their deficit to three points multiple times in the second half, but that was as close as the Hoyas got. The Hoyas defense actually was good in the first half, but was bad in the second half. Hoyas in the first half actually held Villanova to just 32 points on three of 15 on threes and just five of 11 on twos, but the Hoyas in the second half allowed Villanova to score 42 points and go 6-13 of 13 on threes and 10-16 of 16 on twos. Uh, the Hoyas shooting was terrible in the first half, was good in the second half, but the first half was brutal. Georgetown in the first half scored just 22 points, went just 3-14 of 14 on threes and just 5-15 of 15 on twos. The Hoyas in the second half, 5-11 of 11 on threes, 11-16 on twos. Also, the Hoyas went just 10-17 of 17 on free throws. Villanova went 17 of 19 on free throws. So in a game that Georgetown lost by eight, the Hoyas got outscored in terms of free throw points by seven. Uh, 17-10 was the margin. Uh, I mentioned the Hoyas' bad shooting in the first half. Amino Muhammad on Saturday evening had another bad shooting game. He, in 33 minutes as a starter, went 0 of 3 on threes, just 2 of 6 on twos, and just 4 of 6 
high free throws. He scored just eight points, committed three turnovers. He did have eight rebounds, including three offensive boards and two assists. Aminu Muhammad is a five-star freshman. Five-star freshmen are special. Uh, They are rare. They are supposed to be major impact players for teams. It's not that Aminu Muhammad has been terrible for Georgetown. He has had some big games, and he has been a good rebounder. Uh, He, though, has not been the program-changing or program-elevating player who some had built him up to be. Amina Muhammad, now over 26 games this season, is shooting just 31.3% on threes and just 39.9% on twos. Look, he may end up being a great player for Georgetown, but he's not there yet. Uh, Caden Rice on Saturday evening, 32 minutes off the bench. He went just one of seven on threes. Point guard Dante Harris on Saturday evening, two of six on threes, four of seven on twos. He finished with 16 points, four assists, versus four turnovers and three rebounds in 33 minutes as a starter. The biggest bright spot for the Hoyas was Donald Carey. Uh, he went five of nine on threes and four of four on twos, finished with 24 points, four rebounds, four assists, versus three turnovers and two steals in 37 minutes as a starter. And in case you're curious, the 7-2 freshman Ryan Matumbo did play in this loss at Villanova. Uh, Ryan Matumbo is a highly touted freshman. He is the son of legendary Georgetown player, Dikembe Mutombo, but Ryan Mutombo seemingly has fallen out of favor with Georgetown head coach Patrick Ewing, who probably is not going to be Georgetown's head coach beyond this season. Uh, Ryan Mutombo on Saturday evening did play. Uh, He played for eight minutes off the bench off having been a DNP CD in each of the Hoyas' previous two games. Next up for Georgetown, home to DePaul Thursday night at eight. A big win for Virginia on Saturday evening. Wahoo improved to 17-10 and 10 overall and 11-6 and 6 in the ACC with a 74-71 victory at Miami on Saturday evening. The Cavaliers won for the fifth time in six games and bouncing back from their previous game, that 62-53 loss at Virginia Tech last Monday night. You know, the Cavs' strength of schedule isn't great, and so the Cavs do have more work to do when it comes to making the NCAA tournament, even with their ACC record now being 11-6. and But Miami's a good team this season, and the Cavs winning at the Hurricanes on Saturday evening was significant. And the Cavs won at the Hurricanes on Saturday evening in come-from-behind fashion. The Cavs overcame a 10-point second-half deficit. They went from trailing by 10 points at 40-30 early in the second half to leading by 9 points at 53-44 thanks to a 23-4 run Uh, The Wahoos defense was good. The Hoos held Miami to just 6 of 17 on threes. The Hoos held Miami to just 22 of 50 on twos. And the Hoos, as they normally do, largely defended without fouling. Uh, Miami totaled just nine free throw attempts, although the Hurricanes did go nine of nine on free throws. The Hoos totaled 25 free throw attempts, went 19 of 25 on free throws. Uh, As for UVA's offense, so the Hoos did go just 5 of 16 on threes, but went 20 of 35 on twos. Big game for the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner. He went 9 of 14 from the field, all twos, 5 of 6 on free throws, finished with 23 points, 7 rebounds, 3 blocks, and 2 assists versus 2 turnovers in 36 minutes, 33 seconds as a starter. Also, good game for the 5'10 senior point guard, Kihei Clark. Uh, Kihei, 3 of 8 on threes. He did go just 2 of 5 on twos and just 4 of 6 on free throws, but he finished with 17 points and 5 assists versus three turnovers in 38-39 as a starter. You know, Kihei struggled big time in that loss 
at Virginia Tech last Monday night. Kihei in that game, 0 of 5 on threes, just 1 of 4 on twos. He scored just two points. He committed four fouls. He had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 17. But Kihei Clark, much better in Virginia's win at Miami on Saturday evening. UVA got really nice production off the bench from the six foot 11 Caden Shedrick in this win at Miami. Caden Shedrick in 30-23 off the bench, 3 of 5 from the field, all twos, 7 of 9 on free throws. He finished with 13 points, 13 rebounds, 2 assists versus 1 turnover, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 14. And speaking of production off the bench, so a Virginia starter, the Indiana transfer, Armand Franklin, on Saturday evening dealt with foul trouble. He played for just 16 minutes, 8 seconds as a starter. But the six foot eight Australian, Cody Statman, picked up the slack. Uh, he, in 26-44 off the bench, went one of three on threes, two of two on twos, finished with eight points, four rebounds, and two blocks. Uh, this was a good win for Virginia. Here was the Cavs head coach, Tony Bennett, during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. We talked about not yielding, and it didn't feel good the way um, they got off to a good start in the first half. 13 points in transition. Um, we were, again, loose with the ball. They have quick hands. And and then in the second half, you know, we'd really talk, all right, we didn't finish the half well. Let's come out. Let's just go get quality looks and make them earn. And then, sure enough, a couple turnovers, a couple breakdowns defensively. And uh, and then there we were. And I, I just – it was kind of like, what's going on here? But, but they did stay faithful, and they just – Again, started moving hard offensively. Kihei got it rolling. Again, we made some shots, which always helps. And I thought Caden really rim protected um, and then rebounded. And we just, you know, Jaden, we made plays down the stretch, but made some baskets and plays during the, the guts of the second half. And yeah, did they miss some shots that were surprising? Miami, of course. But um, in that, you know, it was just trying to not yield and. and who was going to flinch first in that one. And so uh, that was, yeah, again, plays made, good play. I thought Cody gave us a good lift. Um, and, again, I just went with that group. Though they were fatigued, so was Miami. So it was just who's going to last. Yeah, and it was Virginia that lasted. Uh, and next up for the Cavs is a monster game, home to number nine Duke, Wednesday night at 7. Remember, the Cavs won at Duke. Uh, just a few weeks ago, a 69-68 win at then number 7 Duke on February 7th. Reese Beekman connected on a game-winning three in the final second of the game. Here was Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on the big game against the Blue Devils this Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're a special, talented team, and um, it'll take us to play at a high level and quality on both ends. And again, teams like that, they make you pay, but... Uh, we'll just have to be as ready as we can, and, and again, I'm sure just like Miami was, they'll 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 be ready. You know, obviously we we had a, we hit a last second shot. It was a hard fought game, and um, do you expect anything less? And that's that'll be the case. So we'll have to again. Um, it doesn't get so complicated now. It's just, but can you can you execute at a high level on both ends? Yeah, looking forward to Virginia versus Duke at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Wednesday night. As for the team that defeated Virginia in its previous game prior to this win at Miami on Saturday evening, Virginia Tech, uh, well, its winning streak now is over. Uh, the Hokies fell to 16-11 and 11 overall and 8-8 eight and eight in the ACC with a 65-57 loss to North Carolina at Castle Coliseum 
in Blacksburg on Saturday. The loss snapped the Hokies' six-game winning streak. A disappointing performance for Virginia Tech. The Hokies never led in the second half. This game was a battle of two of the best offensive teams in the ACC in Virginia Tech and North Carolina. And really, these two teams are among the best offensive teams in the country this season, but only one of the two teams ended up being good offensively in this game. Uh, the Hokies' defense was bad in the first half, was better in the second half. Hokies in the first half allowed North Carolina to score 38 points and go 7 of 15 on threes and 7 of 12 on twos. Hokies in the second half, though, did hold North Carolina to just 27 points and just 1 of 7 on threes and just 7 of 15 on on twos, but Tech was terrible offensively. Tech just could not make a shot in this game. Tech finished the game 5 of 26 on threes. Four Hokie starters, Justin Mutz, Nahim Aline, Hunter Couture, and Storm Murphy, when it combined 2 of 18 on threes. Uh, uncharacteristic for Virginia Tech, which has been a very good three-point shooting team this season. Also, Tech went just 19 of 38 on twos, and Tech totaled just six free throw attempts and went four or six on free throws. North Carolina had 15 free throw attempts and went 13 of 15 on free throws. The only Hokie who did much of anything was Keve Aluma, though he went just four 10 on twos and had one assist versus three turnovers, but he did go two or three on threes, did finish with 16 points, nine rebounds, including three offensive boards and two steals in 31 minutes as a starter. Hokies head coach Mike Young during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on what went wrong for Tech offensively in this home loss to Carolina. I thought we had great shot after great shot, and I wouldn't trade. Uh, I wouldn't trade. If we were to go out and play it again and throw the thing in the air, I would take the same shot. We've been so free and so um, uh, impressive offensively. Uh, but um, um, we... Uh, we had we had we had a tough night. We had a tough night getting the ball to Kebe in his uh, sweet spot. Uh, we had uh, we had hard time getting some people off some things. We got a couple that uh, are bread and butter, and um, you know we we were we were a step off on uh, where we wanted to catch uh, catch those, and um, you know over here and back into the uh, back into the post. Uh, and uh, you know, credit uh, credit North Carolina. They, I thought they played. I thought they played a good ball game. Uh, they played uh, played a good ball game on Wednesday. They weren't very good against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was very good. They come in here and uh, Coach Davis uh, had them ready to go and and now uh, played us and, and won a game. So this loss to North Carolina on Saturday for Virginia Tech concluded a stretch of four consecutive home games for the Hokies. Uh, they now will conclude their regular season with three or four games on the road. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech at Georgia Tech, Wednesday night at 9. All right, one more item before we call it a show, and that item has to do with the Orioles. Yes, the O's. Uh, as we remain in the midst of the MLB lockout, uh, which has been going on since December 2nd, we at least have had some Nationals news lately, right? Uh, we last week had the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, we had the news that Juan Soto, prior to the start of the lockout, had turned down a 13-year, $350 million contract extension offer with no deferred money from the Nats. But we barely have had any Orioles news. And, you know, it's not like we had some major Orioles news over the last few days. But we did have something. John Angelos spoke. 
Yeah, John Angelos. Uh, he is the son of Orioles owner Peter Angelos, who has been in failing health for years. Uh, John Angelos is the Orioles chairman and CEO. Uh, John Angelos is the acting owner of the Orioles. He does not speak publicly often, but he on Friday spoke via virtual press conference off, of all things, the O's having announced a Paul McCartney concert at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for this June 12th. Now, as you may know, the word for years now has been that whenever Peter Angelos passes, uh, the Angelos brothers will put the Orioles up for sale. The word for years now has been that John and Louis Angelos have no real interest in being owners of the Orioles. Uh, Well, John Angelos on Friday addressed a variety of topics. He did not address future ownership of the O's, but uh, John Angelos did address the state of the Orioles' rebuild. Take a listen to what he said. Does this sound like an owner who is fully engaged with what's going on with his team? I think, you know, I go by what I what I hear others say as well as by what uh, Mike and his team are are doing and um by I think most accounts um the work that Mike and Sig and Brandon and the 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 team there has done to um build not only the present but the future in the international market um modernizing scouting and player development investing in technology um all of those things that have moved us um, by all accounts, up the ranks of the scouting development uh, rankings um, are all good indicators. And nobody has guarantees. Nobody has a crystal ball. Certainly, Mike and Sig and Brandon and, and the team are, are very um, are aspiring to get all the great results and put us back where we were a few years ago in terms of being competitive. Um, but um, so I think all, all the news is good. Um, and in terms of the prospects for the future, and you know, only time will tell. Uh, you know, I will say I don't. I don't think Mike and his team or anyone else kind of envision the, the 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 rapid advancement in the the perception of the talent and the Orioles scouting and player development um, system. And and some of that talent certainly comes from prior drafts that predate um, Mike, but. Um, but other of that talent comes from Mike's time here. And um, I think the, uh, the, um, the ascension of the uh, perception of the system is nothing but a great thing. And um, I'm really proud of, um, of what the team has accomplished. And I think it's really going to be beneficial for Baltimore. I certainly hope it will be. All right. So John Angelos right there gave a positive review of the work of Mike Elias and his staff in the Orioles rebuild, although it wasn't necessarily a glowing review. And John said that he goes, quote, by what I hear others say, as well as by what Mike and his team are doing, end quote. I don't know. I just found that kind of funny. Now, John did continue, quote, and by, I think, most accounts, the work that Mike and Sig and Brandon and the team there has done to build not only the present, but the future in the international market, modernizing scouting and player development, investing in technology. All of those things that have moved us by all accounts up the ranks of the scouting development rankings are all good indicators. End quote. Uh, I don't know. That to me did not sound like the answer of an owner who is fully aware of and fully invested in what's going on with his team's baseball operations. That seemed like a very generic surface answer. Maybe I'm reading too much into that answer, but that was the sense 
that I got. You know, I know that a lot of you listening right now are combo Commanders Orioles fans. Uh, There are a lot of combo Commanders Orioles fans in the DMV. Many more than some people like to admit. If you're between the ages of, say, 35 and 55, and you grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, there's a good chance that you grew up as a Redskins fan and as an Orioles fan. The prospect that both Dan Snyder and Peter Angelos could be out as owners over the next few years is pretty amazing. Now, there's no guarantee that either ownership ends, but it is interesting that each ownership is at least somewhat up in the air right now. The 2022 Major League Baseball season, whenever it happens, will mark year four of the Orioles' rebuild. It was in November 2018 that the O's announced the hiring of Mike Elias as executive vice president and general manager, and then Sig Dell as assistant general manager in charge of analytics. And then the O's in December 2018 named Brandon Hyde as manager. The Orioles' rebuild has been painful. Uh, there is no doubt about that. The O's have lost a lot of games, and the O's have gotten bludgeoned in many of those games. Uh, the O's in 2019 went 54 and 108 which was the second worst record in the majors and the O's that season had the second worst run differential in the majors at minus 252. The O's in 2020 went 25 and 35, but they went 13 and 27 after a 12 and 8 start and the O's in 2021 went a major league worst tying 52 and 110 with a major league worst run differential of minus 297 and included in that mix was the O's last August having a 19-game losing streak during which the O's were outscored 163-55. 19-game losing streak outscored during the streak 163-55. So yes, there has been a lot of pain during this Orioles rebuild. But as painful as the Orioles rebuild has been, the rebuild also is working. And there are people who don't like to admit this, but this is the truth. The rebuild is working. The purpose of the rebuild has not been to win games during the rebuild. The purpose of the rebuild has been to replenish the farm system and reshape the organizational culture in terms of finally actually being participants in the Latin American market and becoming a team that is at the forefront of the analytics movement. And the Orioles have made massive strides on all of these fronts. The truth is, the Orioles' rebuild is working. All of the focus from the ninnies on the Orioles' records and the Orioles' microscopic payrolls, those people who focus on those things are missing the larger point. The Orioles' rebuild is working. And that doesn't guarantee anything, okay? I totally concede that. But the Orioles' rebuild is very much taking shape. MLB Pipeline last August ranked the O's as having the number one farm system in baseball. Baseball America last August ranked the O's as having the number two farm system in baseball. Did you see what came out last week? So among ESPN's many MLB insiders is this guy, Kylie McDaniel. Uh, Kylie McDaniel joined ESPN in 2020 off having worked for Fangraphs and off having worked for multiple major league clubs and scouting and various front office roles among the teams for which he worked are the Orioles, the New York Yankees, and the Atlanta Braves. So this guy, Kylie McDaniel, last Tuesday came out with his top 100 MLB prospects 
for 2022. His list included six Orioles prospects. So the O's per McDaniel have six of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Included in that mix, the number one prospect in baseball, catcher Adley Rutschman, and the number one pitching prospect in baseball, starter Grayson Rodriguez, who is ranked as the number eight prospect in baseball overall. Not bad. Uh, The other four prospects in Kylie McDaniel's top 100 MLB prospects, who are Orioles, outfielder Colton Kowser, the number 74 prospect in baseball, lefty starter D.L. Hull, the number 94 prospect in baseball, shortstop third baseman Gunnar Henderson, the number 96 prospect in baseball, and third baseman Kobe Mayo, the number 98 prospect in baseball. Six of the top 100 prospects in the sport, including the number one prospect in the sport and the number one pitching prospect in the sport. The O's have the number one position playing prospect in the sport and the number one pitching prospect in the sport. Now, again, none of this guarantees anything. And you always have to wonder about health, right? I mean, I mentioned D.L. Hall. D.L. Hall in the 2021 season pitched for A Bowie, but totaled just 31 and two-thirds innings due to a stress reaction in his left elbow. So we got to see what the left elbow of D.L. Hall ends up doing in 2022. But six of the top 100 prospects in baseball, you combine that with the O's already at the major league level having talented position players in guys like Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, and Austin Hayes. And there's reason for optimism if you're an O's fan. Uh, The concern remains the pitching. Okay, the Orioles' young pitchers did not do well at the major league level last season, talking about guys like Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman and Jorge Lopez. But if you are an O's fan, you do have reason to believe that things are going to be getting better at the major league level. Now, I still would say that the major league team probably is a year away from showing significant signs of improvement, but things are getting better. The farm system is in much better shape. The team is finally spending on Latin American players. The team finally is all in on analytics. Uh, I've had a mantra for the Orioles in recent years with the total teardown and the tank job. Pain now, pleasure later, okay? And to me, if you're a nose fan, you just have had to keep repeating that to yourself through all of the losing, including something like, yes, the 19-game losing streak last August. Pain now, pleasure later. We have experienced the pain, a lot of pain. Uh, But I do believe that the pleasure is coming. And depending on what happens with ownership, there may be even more pleasure coming than we ever thought might be coming. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 256, will be a most special show. It will be the one-year anniversary show of the Al Galdi podcast. And in honor of that, I will welcome on a special guest, Tom Lavero. Yes, lovey, columnist. For the Washington Times, of course, my former colleague at the Team 980, uh, Tommy has been merciless when it comes to writing and talking about the Commanders. So we're going to talk a whole lot of Commanders with Tom, as well as talk some Nationals. You know, Tom has a very good relationship with Mike Rizzo. What is Rizzo truly thinking 
about this Nats rebuild. Also, on Tuesday's show, I'll discuss Maryland's game on Monday night. The Terrapins will host Penn State Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Catching the Eagles in a safety blitz, Jurgensen zips a pass to Charlie Taylor. And last year's leading NFL receiver shows he's lost none of his game-breaking luster. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.